श्री गौरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाय और भक्त वृंद की और प्रेम आनंदे सो नाइस टू बी विद यू अगेन दिस इवनिंग एंड दिस मॉर्निंग वी वर एंटरटेनिंग क्वेश्चंस इट वाज इंटरेस्टिंग सम इंटरेस्टिंग पॉइंट्स कवर्ड एंड सम ऑफ द पॉइंट्स दैट वर कवर्ड इन ब्रीफ कम अप इन द फर्दर continued discussion of the verse that we begin to explore in our first meeting last night again this is uh what is called ashirvad shloka shloka means a verse and uh and ashirvad means blessing so it's a it's a verse in which a blessing is offered and it's it's one of the uh, elemental constituents of a mangala charana an auspicious uh, invocation as we'll find at the uh, at the at the onset of various sacred texts um it's like a preface hmm? where you preface in an introduction and and a acknowledgement you know kind of combined <coughs> in modern terminology publishing terminology and and again this is one element of the mangala charan in the classical uh uh spiritual texts of the hindus the other l2 elements just to reiterate are a namaskar verse and an ashir in a vastu uh, nirdesh verse namaskar means namaskar uh, it means uh, <laughs> offering a respect to really in the sense that the uh, the deity presiding over the inspiration for the text in this case it's the chaitanya charitamrita the uh, and the uh, the deity is is nitananda bhru and chaitanya mahaprabhu vande shri krishna chaitanya nityananda sohodito gurarai pushpabanto chitra samdo tamonodo this is the a specific um, namaskar verse of chaitanya charitamrita and the vastanya deshlok as i mentioned the other day is a is a verse that that in a kind of a uh really compact sense uh like a in a sutra form uh the the, the essence of the the tattva of the, the metaphysical truth of the book is contained hmm? so we are discussing again the ashirvad shloka of chaitanya charitamrita it was originally composed by whom rupa goswami shri rupa goswami prabhupad ki jai and it appeared in his book vidagda madhava there it appears as a namaskar verse he's offering obeisances to chaitanya mahaprabhu krishna's kavirs has imported that verse into his book chaitanya charitamrita which really in essence is what chaitanya charitamrita is rupa goswami's understanding of chaitanya mahaprabhu so it's appropriate that he would take verse from him and use it in his mangala charan and for that matter as an as an ashirvad shloka because it does offer a blessing and we talked about that aspect of the um verse itself in our last um discussion hmm? uh where he says hari purata sundara dyuti kadamba sandipita sadahrdaya kandare spurato vasachinandana He invokes the name Sachinandan. This is a name of 
of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu um, in relation to his early leelas, childhood, and relation to his mother. His mother's name is Sachi. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, of course, is, is Krishna as a devotee of himself, appearing to teach the highest devotion to himself and to experience himself from the vantage point of his own devotee. And particularly that devotee means Radha, the fullest expression of bhakti. And so, with the appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, if he is Krishna, anybody can say, my guru is Krishna, He's an avatar or something like that, and that people do. But uh, the Gaudiya people, our lineage, have made a very credible case for the uh, the contention that uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is not only not not just an avatar of Krishna, but Krishna himself. Krishna is the avatari. When we say Krishna, we're speaking about the, the fountainhead, if you will, or the heartbeat, even of all the Hindu gods and goddesses that are all uh, emanating from that that uh, that fountain like many rivers and many many just like a heart has many feelings emotions so the avatar abha means uh, like a up uh, down down it means down tara means cross crossing down avatara crossing down so from up to crossing down it means from the invisible world becoming manifest in the visible world to the senses. Hmm? Appearance, a, a divine kind of intervention in the, in, in, in the world. Hmm? And the avatars are many, countless, and in, in a sense they constitute like the different emotional um, realities so in the life of the Absolute. Just like we have feelings, emotions, and imagine if you had a feeling and I feel like this, and so a person appeared that personified that feeling. Hmm? This is my feeling. So this can be done <laughs> with uh, with God, <laughs> and so so there are many like waves in the ocean, the absolute, the, the, these these feelings and these these appearances. Then um, they they have a correspondence of the avatars with different devotees. They are the object of love that corresponds with a particular kind of love of God. Hmm? So how many avatars are there? As many as there are different types of devotees and uh, so forth and so on. Um, it's thought sometimes that um, by some people that you know many gods is a problem in, 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 uh, in India. You know, many names of God, many gods, but properly understood, there's one with many faces, and that makes a lot of sense. Because we ourselves have a number of faces. We have one face at work, one face at home, one face with the children, one face with friends, another face here, there, and everywhere, and so forth. So, so, uh, so at any rate, this is a... Um, something that anybody could exploit, I suppose, and as I say, say that but our leader is Krishna, here he's appeared. I mean, when I was young, about the age of Dylan, um, I was actually in, in Florida, where you were recently, right? And um, I, used to, I was on my way to Jamaica to live in the jungle there and meditate, but um, 
I used to see then these posters of uh, Meher Baba. Hmm? You know Meher Baba? And he said, I am Ram, I am Krishna. And I thought, that's, that's different. You know, what's that about? And, um, I never got drawn to him, but I am Ram, I am Krishna. I thought, it didn't look like Krishna. <laughs> you know, so I'd seen some pictures of Krishna by then. So to say I am Krishna is one thing, but uh, to say our guru is Krishna or God or some avatar, you know, it's, it's, we would reply in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, which type of avatar? And then you'd probably get a blank response. This is the wealth, in one sense, of the, of the Gaudiya tradition. It's theology. It's theology. It has a penetration into transcendence that um, speaks about the prayojan, the ideal, with such detail hmm, um, that we don't find in in other religious traditions. It's just a fact. Now, whether those details are correct or not, that's another discussion. But there's a lot of details about what the nature of the goal is. Hmm? Uh, it's the speciality of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. It's preoccupation with, with, the, with the ideal and the specificity of the ideal, which is required for loving, especially if you're going to love closely and intimately. The, the implication is you're going to know more about the object of love. And so that's why it's a little harder, you know, to, to be frank with you, it's a little harder to make it like a completely... Um, multi-cultural uh, uh, expression of Gaudiya Vaishnavism because the, the, the ideal, hmm, if you will, the prayojan, the ideal, it, it corresponds with the practice. Hmm? So what you practice is what you attain. And you have to have an, the ideal in mind and the practice accordingly. And you know it's not necessarily true. Uh, for example, in Christianity, and I'm not advocating particular mode of dress, but it, it is a discussion in the community at, at this time. You don't have people wearing, what would you call them, you know, togas or something, togas or something <laughs> like that, you know. And uh, it's not an issue, you know. Why, it, why would someone would, therefore, why should someone dress, you know, in an Indian way in, you know, relation to Gaudiya Vaishnavism? And, and one doesn't have to, and there may be good uh, reason not to, and for personal reasons for outreach reasons and so but there are other good reasons for doing so as well that are worth uh, considering and, and for example we, we are obviously we're talking about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu his ascent the idea that he is Krishna hmm? and so you know this is a historically documentable event in the from the point of view of modern hist- uh, ways of thinking about history historicity and so forth can be demonstrated more so that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu existed as a person in a certain place and then than, than Jesus, which you know is thought to be a historical event and there's, there were a dozen witnesses and you know he did this miracle and you know therefore it should be uh, believed and accepted and so forth so uh, as far as Krishna goes well we're, we're going back further and it's harder to document this such, but but we can document Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, hmm? and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, of course, is Krishna. We say, and we'll get to that why, but uh, in a, in the spirit of a devotee of himself, trying to understand himself from the devotee's perspective, hmm? very extraordinary idea, and he so he's completely preoccupied with Krishna. So you think, well, we can't demonstrate that Krishna is a quote unquote real person, 
that was really in the world, but he's really in the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and has real effects on his life that are quite uh, ex extraordinary. Hmm. Again, I, I just touched on this, but we do not find any uh, religious figure in the history of human um, um, religious uh, investigation, preoccupation, and so forth, who uh, more uh, is, is a is a more extraordinary or equal even example of ecstasy as much as that is thought to be part of uh, spiritual life. It is a happy affair. Uh, and I came across and cited in my book, I cited another book I wrote a long time ago as well, a Christian theologian who um, made the point that in his own study, forget his name, forgive me, but uh, in his own study of the religious figures in the world, he felt there was no one who was more more exemplified, no religious figure who more exemplified the the the, the, um, the idea of being like Christ, something like that, than Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He wanted to describe his life in Puri and uh, his ecstasy and so forth. He was just kind of scratching the surface of it. Gaudi Vaishnavism seeks to plumb the depths of that. What is that about? And, and then the fact that it's available to 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 others, and, and of course it's available <laughs> to others when, without thinking that I want to enjoy by thinking in the, in the opposite way entirely. It's a whole. It's a truly the 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 implication, the ramifications of the common sense idea that uh, that giving is the receiving. If you study the gopis, love, Radha's love for Krishna, there's not an ounce of thinking I want to enjoy there. And her enjoyment of her happiness is so, it's overwhelming, immense and as a result. So, at, at, at any rate, we are, at the moment, discussing the appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We're speaking of Rupa Goswami's writing a verse, composing a verse, and having a spurti, a, 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 a vision, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his leela and entering and then entering into entering into that, and then then writing in a way of seeking to bless those who might read his verse that they might have that experience. So he's he's so the point is that that, that if you uh, you want to enter into Gore Leela, well there may be. Uh, to meditate on that, to become absorbed in that. So there may be things that you can do that you could that would be a, a, a helpful. Hmm? <coughs> this is for a, kind of a higher side of one's one's practice, hmm? and um, and you have to meditate on that lila and how it appeared in the world, documentably, if you will, how it appeared with all its detail. And so you have to be preoccupied with that. And so that someone might want to dress like that is not, you know, it's not a bad thing necessarily. It, it may be. It was, it's thought to be helpful. When you sit, for example, and you do your practice, and it's at a certain point you'll be chanting and remembering, meditating at the same time on the Leela and entering there and out and so what I'm saying is that the ideal and the practice, there's so much correspondence to it comparatively to other traditions that it's harder to separate these two entirely where there's a, where there's a tradition where the ideal is more kind of a, well, when you get there you'll know, you know, kind of, 
then then it's easier to kind of convert it wholesale into um, well, like we find, for example, in Christianity. You know, people are just ordinary people in every respect in the culture. But that's not to say that there aren't good is not good reason to think creatively about how to try to introduce others to the tradition and make it uh, culturally friendly for them. And indeed, now forgive me, but uh, this is the what Bhakti did. I said he was the first Western convert to Gaudiya Vaishnavism in a sense, and it's the beginning of the Krishna West, and <laughs> if you will. So uh, obviously, I've thought about this a little bit at times, and it comes up. And, uh, but just a side point. My main point here, as I'm speaking, is that, of course, that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we say that he's, he's not from Krishna. Other people may say that about their guru, but the Gaudias were very um, insightful in this, in that they thought, if this, if he is Krishna, hmm, then Krishna is not alone. There's no meaning of Krishna alone. Krishna means Radha Krishna. Hmm. You cannot have Krishna without Radha, even though there may be separation. <laughs> it's only making the heart grow fonder. I, I say, for example, and with good reason, that Krishna is more present in Vrindavan, in the bhakti of the pastoral leelas hmm, of intimacy. He's more present in Vrindavan than he is in Dwaraka, his metropolitan leelas. Hmm. He's more present in Vrindavan than he is in Dwaraka when he is, to lack of a better word, physically present in Dwaraka. When he's physically, if you will, present in Dwaraka with his queens, he's actually more present in Vrindavan than he is in his apparent absence. Because wherever the love for him is, that is where he is. He corresponds with that. So... He may not be visible, but the love is there. You know he's there. That's why we're not interested in Krishna, but in love of Krishna. Sometimes people say, Swami, have you seen Krishna? It's kind of, you know, kind of a, a challenge. If you, have you seen Krishna? If you say yes, if you say no, you lose in either case. Not a really spiritual question, because if you say yes, I see how proud he is, he's seen Krishna. If you say no, it's then why are you teaching? <laughs> So then we say, no, I, I wasn't looking. Hmm. I wasn't looking for Krishna. I was looking to how to serve Krishna. Hmm. That I'm doing. Now you decide. Hmm. If so, it's hard, it's easier to, 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 if you will, to deny the existence of God than it is to deny love of God. And it's very palpably present in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm. We see symptoms. And these are you know, symptoms that include the, 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 the construction of the conventional ego, conventional identity, and so forth. Um, you know, the, the, there's a, there are a number of spiritual paths, obviously, that are ego-effacing, so they have this in common. Hmm? And then they have different perceptions and experience of transcendence varied based on the approach by which the ego is deconstructed. Hmm? 
but they have that in common. So there's a fair amount of intersubjective um, common ground amongst uh, uh, mystics that makes it reasonable to listen to testimony from such persons about the experience of God and love of God, whereas in a more broader common sense, people say, you know, I had a conversation with God, God told me this, and, you know, God told you to kill him, and God told the other guy to get out of the way, you know, at the, not to be killed. And so it's, so people dismiss the idea of God, but these conversations with God and inspirations and insights and uh, so forth from God are, are, don't include within them the effacement of the conventional uh, ego, hmm? bundle of experiences that doesn't amount to a self, hmm? that, uh, a false self. Hmm? So where that has been deconstructed, then we've, this is something, testimony from that side is uh, worth, worth listening to. Hmm? So, love of God then, I mean, this is a wise kind of love. This is a little harder to... Uh, dismiss. And wherever there's love of God, there must be God. So we cannot prove the historicity of Krishna's appearance, but we, there's no problem with, with that with regard to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and he is the embodiment of, of love of Krishna. And to say that Krishna is not real is kind of hard when you look at Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And the Gaudiya people, his associates, they reasoned that he is Krishna in an extraordinary leela or role, hmm, appearance. And they further reason that if our conviction is accurate, well, where are his associates? Because, again, Krishna is not alone. Hmm? Krishna corresponds with love of Krishna. Hmm? So, they went on. Of course, they realized we are those people. Oh, goodness, we are in a special leela. We are the associates of Krishna. He's come, we've come with him. You can imagine how flabbergasting this was. This is the Gore leela. You see, the Gore leela is, is, as I said, it's Sadak Siddha Bhumi. So it's a land, a place, Bhumi means earth, a place where Siddhas, perfect devotees, are playing the role of practitioners. And then when they do the practice, Every extraordinary thing that you ever heard could happen when you practice happens hmm? immediately. They get initiation and they huh? and immediately become fully realized and passing out from chanting and so forth. The deities are speaking to them. and It's a very animated, alive world of, of spiritual practice and teaches the way. And, and they actually, the nature of Leela is, Leela means play, and when you play, if you play hard enough, then you really identify with the play, just like in acting. If you can act in such a way that you actually start to develop the, the, uh, the characteristics of the person. Hmm? And if you're playing the part of a, of a person with a particular disease and you start to get it or something like that, you, know, you, you could win the Academy Award for, for that. So when God plays, he plays very hard. Hmm? And, uh, and so his, 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 he gets lost in the play as to his godhood. Hmm? And this makes him accessible 
an in, in intimate terms to his uh, devotees who seek that kind of relationship with the God. It's very, these are extraordinary uh, theological ideas. Um, and uh, so, again, they realized we are those people. They had a flash, like, he is Krishna and I am such and such. And, so, and, and Sachi, of course, is Jashoda, Jashoda, who, Yashoda, who gives fame. This is her position. Hmm? Krishna is famous as the son of Devaki in Mathura. Hmm? But Yashoda said, let her have the fame. I'll be his mother, actually. Let her be famous for being the mother. I'm content with knowing that I am the mother, really. It's a very Gaudiya point, obviously, because she raised Krishna in his, and uh, and he's born in Vrindavan, really. It's a secret kind of birth. Apparently he appears in Dwarka, but he doesn't really appear. Excuse me, in Mathura. He doesn't really appear there. Somebody with four arms appeared there instead, and jewelry, and, you know, nobody, no babies are born with jewelry, and, you know, all. So it was a, Devaki didn't really give birth. Krishna manifest there, but he actually took birth in Mishoda. What is that? This is very extraordinary. And so she, she raised him, and she's a full figure of Vatsali Rasa. Let, let Devaki be famous. Devaki Putra, you know, it's said in the big data, it's the son of Devaki. But uh, she's content to be the actual mother. Devaki made a testimony to that effect at Kurukshetra. When they met Krishna after a long time, the cowherds came, hmm, made their way somehow into the, into the, the camp. They made a big camp, like a, like a world, like the Olympics or something, at Kurukshetra. There were going to be big sacrifices, and Krishna's associates from Dwarka came. He's riding on an elephant and all. Hmm? And so then along come these people in these covered wagons pulled by oxen, you know, with a wagon load of yogurt and butter and stuff like from the village. And <laughs> they want to get in. The guards are, who are you, you know, people? This is the royal, you know, gathering here for the big sacrifices for God. And somehow the word got out. Somebody who says she's your mother is at the door, and, you know. Yeah. Some way, I don't know what. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you let, let her in, you know. So, of course, she came in with associates and so forth. And there Devaki saw hmm, the affection of Jashoda for Krishna. And she made a testimony in Bhagavatam. He's your mother. He's your son, really. This is a fact. Hmm? By affection, this is what rules. Hmm? What maybe Nitai, Nitai Sundar. Some of you know him, my friend, student. He's... Um, he had a reflection recently. He said, you know, these family relations, these blood ties, he said, they seem so arbitrary to me. Hmm? That why I should think someone is special basically because I've got you know, these blood ties. It, 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 I thought it was a very nice, nice point. Hmm? And because affection really is the tie. Hmm? So you can find a situation, for example, where a boy is the son of a particular man, and he has no affection for his father, never does what he's told or anything. And the neighbor boy always comes over and rakes the leaves and things like that. And, and then the, the village will say, he's, he's your son, really. He's your son. This is your, real, your father by affections for us. This is what, what the real determining factor. 
in relationships are. We, we have these formal, we're supposed to be, I'm supposed to love my brother. <laughs> but, you know, when we, we, we do, hopefully, love all our brothers and sisters, but we should expand that concept, of course, beyond the bloodlines and so forth. At any rate, we're hearing in this verse about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Rupa Goswami has invoked the name Sachinandan. means Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in relation to his mother. And this is in, in, invoking in the whole idea of Chait Chaitanya Leela in Navadweep and um, the intimacy of that and how difficult it is for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to separate himself from that for the sake of ourselves, or outside of the circle in which the Leela has descended and, and, and to go outside of that circle and, and then make it available to everyone. This is the, the contrast. And so Rupa Goswami is is experiencing this Leela. He says, Sachinandan, may that, may that Sachinandan. He says, he's saying, may you enter into Navadvip. Hmm? May he enter the core of your heart. And uh, his, uh, he describes him hmm, beautifully, his complexion, his uh, something. Uh, what is he saying? Sundaraduti kadamba sandipitaha. Prabhupada, you ever see the picture of Prabhupada? He's holding that, it's a um, flower, what's that flower called? It's a Hawaiian flower, we grow them in Plumeria in Costa Rica, they grow. Down to Daoji Kund, the waterfall, we have a wild forest of plumerias. You have to come and see it. June is a good time, I'll be there. So, so he's holding that plumeria, isn't it plumeria, isn't it? And it's golden, hmm? holding like this. You ever see that picture? He's, what he's thinking at that time is, this is the complexion of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He's reminded of this. Hmm? So Rupa Goswami has invoked the yellow, the Kadamba flower, hmm? yeah. and uh, described him like this. Kadamba Sandipitaha. Hmm? It lit up, golden, effulgent, shining, brilliant. It means he's illuminating. Hmm? in all directions with his magnanimity and so forth. And also, of course, it means that he is Krishna, who's dark. Krishna means dark, black. Hmm? Um, which is kind of, I guess, all colors. Isn't it? All colors are in black or something like that. No? It's the opposite? The yeah, colors are in white. All colors in white. So that's uh, opposite then. Yeah. So... The opposite of white, we say, is not black. The opposite of black is not white, but golden. <laughs> anyway, golden is the is the color of Mahabhav. They say, in Indian aesthetics, of course, the different emotions have colors, like they do in our uh, secular world or the, in a, in the Western world, probably without um, uh, specifying as such with such detail. We think that's a warm color. That's a cool color. It's a passionate color, hmm? um, and so forth. So, in the aesthetics, of course, Krishna's sham. This is the color of romantic love. Hmm? In the Mahabhav is, is molten gold. This is the color of Mahabhav. Hmm? So, and this is, so Radha is the personification of Mahabhav. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is coming in that color. He's Krishna. Antai Krishna Bahir Gauram. Inside he's Krishna. Outside he's his complexion is that of Radha, and she's the giver. Hmm? 
the dispenser, really, of bhakti, bhakti devi. Hmm? She's independent wherever she goes, she likes and gives bhakti to others. Hmm? So he's speaking in this way about uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, <clears throat> giving us a blessing. We might enter into the experience of, of Gaurila, which has two basic aspects, this inner uh, circle of Gaurila in Nadia, hmm? and then the outer, uh, the outreach, if, if, if you will, that uh, is a distribution of, of bhakti. Hmm? He becomes from Nimai Pandit, he becomes Sri Krishna Chaitanya. Hmm? Change of names. Sri Krishna Chaitanya, excuse me, Sri Krishna Chaitanya, it means Krishna consciousness. I think Prabhupada said that his term, Krishna consciousness, he took from a verse, hmm, what is that verse? Krishna bhakti rasa bhavita mati kriyata mapikuto pilabdite tattarolya mapimolya mekalam janmagoti sukhribhira labdite this is a if you make this connection you see what Krishna consciousness in Prabhupada's mind is about Krishna bhakti rasa bhavita mati kriyata mapikuto pilabdite this is tattarolya mapimolya mekalam janmagoti sukhribhira labdite Krishna Bhakti Rasa means this intimate love of God in this pastoral leelas of Krishna. Hmm? And this verse is speaking about that because this is tatra lolam api mekalam. The only way to go there is through lolam. Lolam. Hmm? What is the qualification to go there? The desire to go there. That's all. <laughs> Yes, and then you put that in, and then how you put that into practice and so forth. It is like if you want to go to India, you have to have a desire to go there at the beginning. I have a desire to go there. Of course, I'm not going to entertain a lot of discussion with you about what it will be like. I'll say first, well, do you have a ticket? You want to go to India? Good. That's good. You need a ticket. No, I just want to go, you know. Uh, do you have a passport? Do you have a visa? Hmm? Do you have a job? Hmm. So this is the beginning. I want to go to India. Excellent. Excellent. We should fan the spark of that. And now we should talk about it practically. Now you need, like I said, you need a ticket. You need some money. Maybe you need a job then. Hmm. Wait a minute. I want to go to India. You're talking about getting a job <laughs> in America. But I, these things don't go together, you think. No, so... No, they do go together. Hmm? So to have the desire to go there, that's all you need. But then you need counsel as to how to make that desire, uh, that ideal become become manifest. So we say only desire. That means that's the, the central driving force. Like Prabhupada uh, used to emphasize to us, of the, well, you know, you have to study the nine cantos of the Bhagavatam, the tenth before the tenth canto, and and so forth. Once Giriraj Maharaj asked Prabhupada, but Prabhupada, you gave the you gave the tenth canto first in the form of the Krishna book, and Prabhupada said something like, like, uh, what did he say? Give a you know, give a, I had to give this like an appetizer or something like that of what it's all about. Just you know, and that's true. 
because this is the whole point, right? I mean, the, the Krishna, Krishna Leela, this is what you're attracted to, that ideal, what, however well you understand it. Hmm? It's a compelling, attractive ideal. It's the driving force. The more that idea becomes refined, hmm? and then there are ways to refine that. Hmm? It's like I want to go to India and what it's about, what it's like over there. Before you start thinking too much what it's about, you've got to think about how to get there. So you need to put certain things in place in your know, practice, so on and so forth, and, and then when you actually come and I've got a ticket now, I've got a visa, I've got a passport, then I said, well, let's sit down and talk about all the different places that you could go there, what you could do, what you have, uh, being, if I'm, having, if I'm an experienced traveler. But before you have all that, I think, oh, my, you, know, you know, you don't even have a job and you want to go to India. Don't waste my time talking about what, it, what you'll do when you get there. Hmm? So the basic idea to go there, that's good, but we're not going to entertain too much conversation about what you do, how you will love Krishna exactly, particularly. In, no, you have to do other things first. That will then um, make uh, it will indirectly assist you in pursuing the desire. So. Rupa Goswami gives a blessing, may this happen to you. May you get this kind of interest. He, he describing Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in this way, I said Prabhupada had the flower and 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 he's thinking uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in this way, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Sri Krishna Chaitanya. Again, this is um, <coughs> that is his name for distributing bhakti and what I want to say is that Sri Krishna Chaitanya means Krishna consciousness. Well, Prabhupada drew his meaning, his term, Krishna consciousness, from the verse I cited that's about rag bhakti. It's a verse about rag bhakti. So when Prabhupada says Krishna consciousness, it means rag bhakti. The, the title, the, the Krishna consciousness movement, as he called it, it comes from a verse, this verse I cited, that's all about rag bhakti. So you should understand, this is the goal. Hmm? Not Vaikuntha, not heaven, not... Brahman or anything like that or who knows what other, other ideas we might have about why you're doing this. So it's good to get focus on that. However, having said that, the name Sri Krishna Chaitanya also can be translated Krishna Consciousness. Hmm? Very nicely. Krishna Chaitanya. Hmm? Chaitanya means consciousness. So Sri Krishna Chaitanya. So it was the, 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 the consciousness of Sri for Krishna, this means, hmm, again, the Bhagavatam, broadest perspective on Krishna, which is what Krishna wants to experience, that is Jaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? So he uh, describes him here uh, in, in brief with his complexion, his power to, to dissipate... Um, to, 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 I want to say, uproot Abhidya. Hmm? He's compared him to a lion hmm? who can chase away an elephant. Hmm? That's an uh, uh, interesting idea. But, uh, so, <laughs> and the heart to a cave. Hmm? He said, let him enter the cave of your heart that's situated... He means to say, in a mountain of resistance, as I said last night, to your own self-interest, let him enter there and chase away all the elephantine vices 
that arise as they do from misidentification with matter, that is avidya. This is the beginning of all our suffering. Hmm? Avidya means ignorance. Ignorance means attachment to things that don't endure in pursuit of enduring happiness. That is ignorance. So he says, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is capable of, by entering your heart, to, 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 to invite him there. Hmm? May he go there, he said, because all this will go out. So he says a nice thing here. Hmm? He's going to talk about something very high coming in the heart. Hmm? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu first says, he, let him come in and bless you in such a way that all of your ignorance, the basis, the very root of your material suffering will be uprooted. Hmm? So the point being what? That there's some cleansing of the heart that is required hmm? in order for the gift of prem to take root there in the soil of the heart. Hmm? But we should not think that I will clean the heart in some other way and then, then the gift of, then it will be, it will be um, um, suitable for Prem to take, its, uh, take, uh, take birth there or to be, uh, no. Hmm? What he is saying, what, what, what Rupa Goswami is saying is there is no better way to cleanse the heart than bhakti. But this means something very important to us. There's nothing we can do to qualify ourselves. Hmm? Bhakti will qualify us more than anything we can do. We tend to think, I'll qualify myself and then I'll do bhakti. <laughs> you know, that's the backwards idea. Sometimes people ask me, how, how can I be quali qualify myself for initiation? I'm thinking, I was initiated, I was not qualified. Hmm? Because I'm thinking, what, what can I do to qualify myself for such a thing? Hmm? Bhakti qualifies us herself. Hmm? So there's no separate means by which we will... Hmm. There's no purscharja. Hmm? There's no purificatory process, if you will, that is required. Hmm? This is the power and the efficacy of bhakti. Hmm? But he's speaking about the power and efficacy of bhakti on the one side to cleanse the heart. And so the verse is telling us that this part is required hmm? in order for the unatojala rasas to come in. Hmm? That is the gift. And we have to go on and discuss the gift. Hmm? So we, 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 we have to have some idea about the goal and we have to know how to get there. Like I've said it many times, if you enter the mall, there's a map. You want to go to room 108 where they're selling you know, japa beads or something, right? <laughs> so, uh, meditation beads, so you enter and it says, here's room 108, and what else does it say on the map? You are here. You have to have both these things, put these things together. I want to go here, and I'm here. So then, if I just keep my eyes there, then I walk, I may get lost. I may fall along the way. I have to keep my eyes focused, hmm? step by step. Hmm? But to pay my, I enough to know where I want to go and then learn how to pay attention as to where I am and what steps I should take to go there systematically. Hmm? Attain that, that ideal. Hmm? And so he, he gives the blessing, let Chaitanya Mahaprabhu come in your heart and 
chase away with the, the roaring of his kirtan, which Nabandas described, and the kirtan is roaring and the whole universe is shaking and he's crashing on the ground in ecstasy. And this is the kirtan at Srivasangam. You can just think, what is that like? Hmm? We think this is going on invisibly, and that's why there are earthquakes. That's why they're, you know, everybody's always trying to find out the cause or reason before everything, right? Now they actually talk about it like this. It's all coming because of Krishna Leela, Gaur Leela. This is the background of everything that happens in the world. It's a very interesting idea. Hmm? Very, very Madanakya Mahabhav of Radha is described like this. That has a corresponding effect on the whole world. Hmm? Some event happens in the world. It's because of Radha's <laughs> emotional, you know, situation at the time in relation to Krishna. <laughs> so the lilas, the kirtan lila of Gaur in, in, in the courtyard of Shivas in Navadvip, they're described like this, hmm? roaring. So he says, like a lion, and lions he has a, the golden complexion and enters there and chases away the elephantine-like big. Huge herd of elephant type uh, desires, if you will, that have taken uh, up residence in the heart, chases them out. Hmm? This is uh, Krishna enters the heart like a sweeper. Hmm? It's a humble sweeper. He sets up shop, and as I said before, he's selling brooms. And meanwhile, all the other corporations have set up their shop hmm, in your heart to distract you. So many desires. There's so much promotion and so forth. Somebody's going to come in and just sell brooms. Who cares? You know, brooms. But so many other things that you could have. Hmm? But that broom seller is very, very crafty. In fact, he, he gives them out for free. I'm giving out free brooms. There he is in the heart. I'm giving out free brooms. Anybody want a broom? Sweep, sweep. Hmm? He shows. And he's able to... He says, oh, I'll take a broom. All right, take a broom. I can always use a broom. Yeah, sweep a little bit. It's a magic broom, right? So it can close down all the corporations. You, you, you just dust a little bit with that broom and you see something more brilliant, more effulgent than all the lights of the world. Hmm? All the light, all the shine of the world, all the glitter, the glare, the attraction, the, the, the prospect. Something's about to happen. Isn't that how we live? Something's about to happen. Check the news. <laughs> it's going to happen there, it's going to happen, it's going to be catastrophic, it's going to be extraordinary, it's going to be celebratory, it's just about to happen. And it just, you know, keeps going on and every generation thinks it's going to happen now, it's going to happen. Things do happen and so forth, but more or less the same thing keeps going on. What's happening is not that exciting and not has no potential to fulfill us. There's no square meal, only appetizers, and the result is indigestion. Hmm? This is what the world is offering, but it's doing good packaging, making the presentation. Hmm? So you, you just do a little sweeping like this, and you then it's a magic broom, <laughs> as I say. So what happens is the self, the atma, it's, it's like it's like it's like a diamond hmm? under a mountain. You know, under the mountain is the diamond. It's like what, like coal or something. Yeah, I guess if you. Compress the coal. Right? Hmm? You touch coal, you just 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 you gotta wash your hand. If you press it hard enough, isn't it? You get a you get a diamond so underneath the mountain, a mountain of ignorance. So a little sweeping, and the, oh, this uh, the shine of the self in its prospect. Hmm? It starts to it, it to it, it illumines in such a way that 
all of the lights of the world, all the glare, the glitter, the shine, as I say, the attraction, it pales in comparison. That's when the full moon rises, the stars, otherwise bright and guiding the night, they practically disappear. Hmm? Hmm? Better example would be the, the glow worms. You know, a little light and they're gone, a little light and they're gone. What is that in relation to the moon, full moon, Krishna Chandra, hmm? Chaitanya Chandra? Hmm? Chandodaya Mandir. Chandodaya, moon rising temple of the heart. This is the temple we're trying to build in the heart. For the moon of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu will rise and give a soothing benediction and, and, and outshine every other light and just to shine a little bit on the prospect of the jiva, the atma, this prospect. It's so, this is so encouraging. A little, and this is what we were talking about this morning, a little experience of this just makes everything seem empty. And it is empty. We have only given it value by lending ourselves to it. Hmm? By lending ourselves to matter, we've given it a value that it doesn't have inherently unto itself. We are a unit of value and meaning. Subjective gives meaning to the objective. And suddenly we, 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 we get a glimpse of this. Whoa. The whole world is, is, is as empty as, uh, as it is. <laughs> it appeared otherwise, but it's empty. It has no prospect. There's no prospect for love in relation to matter. It cannot reciprocate in kind. Hmm? We animate a thing and chase after it and become attached to it, but we are animating. It's ourself that we're interested in, the animating force. Hmm? The self is the object of love. It's a unit of consciousness. Now, it has a source. Hmm? So in relation to that source, then its full uh, capacity to love is, comes to the fore. Hmm? Atmananda is one thing. Bhakti-ananda is another thing. Atmananda means that love of the self. That's not selfish, love of the self. That's the end of all material exploitation. Hmm? But bhakti-ananda is, an, is another thing. You have to have, you have, to have, love, have love of the self. <laughs> That's a good one. To have bhakti. I don't mean in the psychological sense, although that can help too. Hmm? We can play on the metaphysical reality that, that to come to atmananda, hmm? We'll come to Atmananda in the course of pursuing Bhakti-ananda. Hmm? In other words, you'll see the joy of what is the self and then the prospect of the self in relation to Krishna that Bhakti offers us and so forth mm-hmm. comes in, into view. Hmm? So, of course, I'm going to take it at a lower level psychologically. It's, you have to have a good sense of yourself. Hmm? You have to have a good... Uh, healthy psychological ego to dissect your metaphysical false ego effectively. Um, this is the idea of sattva, and it's a side point. But So, selling the brooms, right? Mm-hmm. And just a little sweeping, and all these mega-corporations that have set up there, that are controlling us, if you will. Mm-hmm. A fellow asked me some time back, you might have heard it on the tape of the class, he said, you know, it's all good what you're talking about, you know, bhakti and all this, but what about, you know, the fact that they are doing this and they are doing that and, you know, they're doing this and they're exploiting us here and then the, 
And so he was going on like that. All the, you know, you can make all the problems of the world, uh, what, what they are doing out there. Hmm? They, the mega corporations, they're controlling and, and exploiting the people in so many ways. And so I listened to him and he played it out. And you can make a big case that there's a lot of exploitation going on and they're really bad. And I said, well, the thing is that who is the they? Can you identify they? He said, well, you know, they, you know. You know, he went on and gave a few things. I said, said, my answer to you is that you are the they. <laughs> you are part of that. <laughs> you are complicit in that. Material life means exploitation. We've identified with matter. Therefore, we feel empty because matter is empty. Therefore, we need to take, we think. We need to acquire to be full. So we're all on the take. And as much as you're on the take, as much as you're hunting, you're being hunted. And it's an uncomfortable um, plane of experience hmm? where it looks like our existence is under the threat. We're under the threat of potential non-existence. We have to be on guard, so to speak. Hmm? It's not the homeland here, the uh, foreign land. But that's only a, it's only a perspective, in a sense. Therefore, Vishwam Purnam Sukhayate, there's another perspective on the world from the bhakti point of view. It's not world escaping. Hmm? It's understanding properly the Maya Shakti and then how to relate with it in such a way. Therefore, you the examples of Krishna has a full interaction with the world. I mean, full interaction. Hmm? It's very extraordinary. There's no, there's no selfishness in it. Hmm? So, at any rate, as I say, the little sweeping, this what the prospect of the Atma is, it, it just, it, just a little bit of that closes down all of the whole... You get a little experience, and you think the whole nothing could I could nothing I could do hmm, that could give me that could be as rewarding as just that glimpse of experience. It's the taste hmm, of the potential of of the the jiva. It's so overwhelming, and you will cry, and your hairs will stand on end. you know, feel that Krishna's nam is dancing on the tongue. Prabhupada hmm? hmm. <coughs> said, a little, give a little taste first of what's to come. He gave the Krishna book, right? Krishna sometimes give a little taste in the beginning. Hmm? A little taste. And then you're ready to work for that your whole life. <laughs> no matter what happens, whatever. From hell or high water, I'm going for that. Hmm? I've got to get that. I've got to... It's just otherworldly. I know there's another world. There's something beyond what meets the eye and, and the mind. Hmm? And, it's, it's, and I'm part of that. Hmm? So, he, this way he, he, he says, May Chaitanya Mahaprabhu enter your heart and roar like a lion with his kirtan hmm? and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This is the first stage. The heart will be cleansed. And he said, he doesn't say mega corporations, he says elephant-like, you know, big herd of elephant of desires of residing in that cave. They all come running out like mouse, like mice, you know, it's running, oh, I've got to get out of here. There's a lion in the cave. And he's roaring. Hmm? So the, that he's, he's prepared in this way, the ground, very nicely. Then he says, what? Anarpita charim charat karunayabhattina kolo. 
Anarpita sampa sam samarpita yum. Anarpita samarpita. Anarpita. He says. Anarpita charim charat. Hmm? Anarpita means not bestowed, not blessed. Hmm? Not blessed. Samarpaito means to bless in a big way. Samarpaito. Hmm? A big blessing, to give a big blessing. Not blessing, blessing. So he says, Anarpita, Charim Chirat. For a long time, Charim Chirat. For a very long time, hmm? this, what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was giving, is, it has not been given. Hmm? It is Anarpita. It has not been given for a long time. Hmm? He wants to say, this is very rare. Pay attention. This is a very rare opportunity. It doesn't come very often. Hmm? Sometimes you say, not for a long time. Hmm? Prabhupada translates, never before given. Hmm? So we have to deal with that. Never before. Not, not, not a long, for a long time. Never, be, never given before. It means, never given before means, it only comes from the hand of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? Whenever he comes. Hmm? It comes only from his hand, not from anywhere else. And what is that that he's giving? Hmm? He's giving unatozorasa sobhaktisriyam, that which he himself is pursuing, his own bhakti. Hmm? He's giving it in the form of unato ujvala rasa. Hmm? Ujvala means like bright, brilliant. Hmm? And uh, rasa means aesthetic rapture, hmm? sacred aesthetic rapture. He's giving this. Hmm? Uh, ujwal rasa, ujwal rasa means, ujwal means the, like the, the brightest, it means madurasa, hmm? this uh, romantic love for Krishna. Hmm? Unato Ujvala, exalted, the most exalted form of this, is what is what he is giving to the to the to the to the general public. The highest thing he's giving to the least qualified people, hmm? without seeking any qualification, he's giving it out like water. He's giving out like, you know, like a valuable substance, hmm? like water. Water is, you know, everybody's got to have water. It's not a big thing. Hmm? It is a big thing, but. So he's giving it out like nectar, like water. Hmm? Um, and it only comes from his hand. I want to go into that, but um, because you might think there are examples of, in the history in the past of, hmm, of devotees attaining you know, this uh, uh, ideal, it would seem, but that didn't come from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So how do we understand it? That comes from the qualifying word unato ujvala rasa. Unato ujvala. Ujvala rasa, that's there. The Upanishads, they personified, this is a very nice point in the Shruti, the Upanishads. The Bhagavatam depicts them as desiring gopi bhav, love of Krishna like the milkmaidens of the Leela. Picks them in this way. This is the, 
the Bhagavatam is saying that the Shruti, which is often thought to be a more prominent form of revelation than the Smriti, and the Bhagavatam is thought to be part of the Smriti, that which is recollected and thought about after hearing and reiterated. Of course, the Bhagavatam characterizes itself as Shruti Saramekam, the essence of the Shruti. And the Gaudis have a big argument for that Bhagavatam is the central hub around which all the texts will be properly understood. Hmm? This is a very revolutionary idea. You see, what Gaudias did, uh, Rupa Goswami, it's very ingenious because if you have an, if you present an argument to me, hmm, the first thing I'm going to do is not to step into the frame of the argument as you have framed it. Hmm? <laughs> It's like, let's say, for example, you say, um, um, you say, someone may say to me, whatever Prabhupada says, you know, that's absolute. And I, I want to see if you, you know, are accepting that, whatever he says. Hmm? Then, you know, you, you, get, well, the, you get trapped in there. And you, 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 and he's framed it in a certain way. You say, no, 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 it's not like that. It's, it, Prabhupada is a member of the Sampradaya. Whatever the Sampradaya says, whatever he said, will be in concordance with that. And we have to look at it like, now you framed it differently. You see? Hmm? So, that's just a, you know, kind of a, I guess a debating point or something like that. So you, you reframe the argument. So this is what Chaitanya Rupa Goswami did. He reframed the argument that has been going on since Ramanuja. Hmm? Then Madhva came. Hmm. Shankar framed the argument. These are the principal Upanishads. Hmm. They say like this. Hmm. And in order to, you, you, to counter him, you have to step inside. They know the Upanishads say this, and they, they say that. And, they, and, and the Shruti, the Smriti is secondary. We don't give that the same. Hmm. You know, we, 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 we accept Bhagavad Gita because it can be considered Shruti. What are they? Th- three, what is it? Tri Prastan, three principal evidences, I think. The Shruti, the Sutras, and the Gita, or something. All these line up, then you can get the conclusion. So, this is like, it's how Shankar framed the argument. So, Ramanuja stepped into the, same, into the framework. Hmm? This is a history of, of Vedanta in India. Great mystics and arguing about the nature of the absolute with nuances and so forth, and all trying to substantiate their conceptions based on what the revelation has said and so forth. So Shankar framed an argument that the jiva, with the conclusion of which was that the jiva, the individual atma, is an illusion, and actually there is no individual individuality. There's only one awareness called Brahman. It's an awareness only. And there's an illusion of personhood, and it's dissipated, and there's just awareness, a pulsating kind of awareness. This is basically the idea, Advaita Vedanta. So he framed the argument. Ramanuja, in a sense, stepped into the framework and then tried to argue against Ramanuja, against Shankar's position, the same framework. And Madhva did the same thing. Rupa Goswami said, well, I'm going to reframe the argument here. You know, Bhagavatam. And Jiva goes on. Bhagavatam is the hub around which all the texts revolve, and all of them will be properly understood. 
in relation to what the Bhagavatam says. And this is why, and they gave so much, they just, he reframed the whole argument, which is perfectly intelligent thing to do. Hmm? And he talked about it from an entirely different perspective and came to the conclusion, a very compelling conclusion, Krishna is to Bhagavan Swayam. Krishna is the source of everything. And the jiva has, is, soul is an individual. It doesn't disappear, it's individuality, but it can have an individual relationship with God, and this is bhakti and love and so on and so forth. Uh, it's very, very powerful. And people say, wait a minute, you can't argue like that. Why not? <laughs> so he reframed the argument. And, 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 and so here, what? He says that 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 you know, I was saying that, that in the Bhagavatam, in the Bhagavatam, we find the Shruti, the personified Vedas. It's a chapter in the tenth canto, the personified prayers of the personified Vedas, and there we find certain Shrutis like Ishopanishad, Gopal Tapani, uh, Krishna Upanishad, Nishinga Tapani, and all these Vaishnava Ram Tapani Upanishad, all these Vaishnava Upanishad. They're all aspiring to follow the way of the gopis. Hmm? So Bhagavatam is saying, this, even the Shruti, hmm? and these are the most important Upanishads. <laughs> this is, you know, why do I have to say that you know, the ones that you choose are the most important Upanishads? Hmm? These are the most important Upanishads. Everybody's just following the argument, Shankar. Okay, okay, I guess so. These are the most important ones. There's 108. These are the most. Hmm? No. Hmm? And they are all aspiring to follow the, the gopis. It means the, like the personified you know, the deities presiding over the texts. This is their aspiration. Hmm? Hmm? So, so the Bhagavatam is saying, the Shruti is following us. Hmm? So they, they desire this. They desire to follow the bhava of certain, uh, uh, of, of the milkmaidens of Braj in terms of their love for Krishna. And, of course, they attain that. This is one, this is one group of sadhakas. Hmm? Sages in Ramlila, in Naimishara, in, uh, is it? Dantakaranya, uh, Dantakaranya forest. Hmm? They saw Ram, they were chanting Gopal Tapani, or excuse me, Gopal, Gopal Mantra. Hmm? the main diksha mantra, main initiation mantra of our lineage, they were chanting this long time, and Ram came through the forest looking for Sita. And there these sages opened their eyes from their meditation. It looks like who? It looks like him. Is that him? I'm, and he said, it's me, but... <laughs> but I have, have a vow, ek patni vratta. Hmm? I have taken a vow to have only one, one consort. Hmm? So you cannot have that kind of relationship with me, but I'll be coming again. And then at that time, you can take birth in the family of gopis, and and you can pursue that kind of relationship with me in the form of Krishna. Ram is thought to be more noble by taking a vow of having only one wife, but in the science, if you will, of rasa, it said there has to be more variety to experience the fullness of so Krishna's actually more rasik. Ramlila is only pointing in the direction of Krishna Lila with regard to this. So anyway, these are another example of sadhakas who when Lila manifest they 
they, be, they had access, they were in the penultimate state of their culture, of spiritual life. And, and it is for such sadhakas that Krishna comes to the world. This is why he comes. Pritranaya sadhanam binashaya chaduskritam. He comes for them. And as a byproduct, he establishes dharma and does other things. Those kind of sadhakas. So when you become that kind of sadhaka, you find yourself in a world where Krishna is just about to make his appearance, something like that. And you get association of all of his associates and all the necessary, well, from that association, the necessary developments to enable you to participate fully in the Leela will come. And the story is there in the Bhagavatam. If you study the commentaries, how they went, how they, they entered. Hmm? So we say, the Vedic attained it, so how can you say it only comes from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? Right? That'll be the question. So, no, they did not attain, they attained Ujjvala Rasa, but not Unatu Ujjvala Rasa. They attained something like this. They, they, it may even be Tadbhavichamai, but not like what Mahaprabhu was giving. So this is a very special, peculiar, particular uh, blessing. And, and, and it, it corresponds with the, the, the Mahabhav, the Madanaga Mahabhav of Radha, hmm? that without the assistance of her handmaidens, she cannot experience. Hmm? So, and as she experiences it through their assistance, they experience it. Hmm? It's like a vine, if it's wrapped around a tree and is nourished, and all the flowers will also benefit. Hmm? So this is the teaching that this highest ideal it cannot not only can it not be experienced without going through those gopis hmm? that Radha's experience is dependent upon them. Hmm. This is such an emphasis on the, and the devotee, if you will, and the love of God more than the God. Or, uh, so extending it, we are saying you know Radha, but extending it further to the assistance of Radha. So this kind of Possibility. It means to become a handmaiden of Radha, which though in, 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 in this type of um, Madhurasa is such that those devotees, they have no interest in having direct union, romantic union with Krishna. Hmm? They have no interest in that whatsoever. Hmm? They have only interest in bringing Radha in connection with Krishna. Hmm? And why? Because indirect is direct. This is very Zen, um, if you will. That because no one can experience the fullness hmm, of loving Krishna like Radha. All the gopis are partial manifestations of herself. For example, hmm? so she's the composite of all of that. So she can. She is the bhakti that can fully satisfy and Krishna fully corresponds with the perfect object of love that Krishna is. Hmm? So you, if you compete with her, you, you know, you're not going to get the full experience. But if you are a very instrument that, which is involved in a necessary instrument, ingredient, for her to experience the highest love, then by your identification with her, you will experience that as well. So we can experience the bhava of Mahabhava of Radha, hmm? in a sense, as I say, by way of 
attaching ourselves to her hmm, as her handmaiden hmm, and experience more of, if you will, love of Krishna than those who have direct union. Hmm, or who just somehow, even if they, even if the Upanishads follow the bhav, hmm, that's another thing. They may be priyasakis, but not nitisakis, not pransakis, not manjaris hmm, of Radha. That was not particularly their aspiration. And this is the gift that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was giving to the world, and it, it doesn't it doesn't come very often. He's saying, hmm? it means it only comes from the hand of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? The ordinary fare is quite different, and to uh, uh, further understand the gift, which is you know, which we try to explain a little bit, but to, we have, we would do well to understand our our plight. Hmm? What is the normal course of affairs and so forth? So it's a, you know, here you go, now you have to go into some discussion of more, more boring topics, but, um, if you will. So what it means is that Krishnadas in explaining this says, well, what's a long period of time? What am I talking about? So he's, he, he, now he'll, he, in his own explanation of his own verse, he goes to the, the Bhagavad cosmology. Hmm? What's a long time? Once in the day of Brahma. So how do we explain this to the people in the world today? Once in the day of Brahma this is given. You go, oh, you and the wax are like real mythological on us here and you know what what value does that have? Why why should we think about that? Hmm? No, it's once in the day of Brahma and the Kali Yuga and Kali Yuga? Yugas, cycles, and it's, you're saying that people, human civilization existed thousands of years ago, and it's, the archaeological record shows no, you know, you guys are like out there, you know. It's a nice, it's a quaint little idea, but, you know, it's not very rational. Hmm? So, what to do? <laughs> so you have, to, you have to understand it properly, of course. Hmm? Hmm. He says, once in the day of Brahma. You know, in one sense it means a long time. It's a rare gift. It's, it's uh, you know, you can try to talk about it like that, but, this, but you think, but this is a central doctrine of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. It's Kali Yuga. He's the Kali Yuga avatar. Hmm? How can we do away with the Kali Yuga? Or the whole idea. Hmm? And the Bhagavatam speaks about Kali Yugas and it speaks about, well, before that, to go into the idea of the, the basic Bhagavad cosmology. You know, you have, um, oh, you have Brahmas, you have Vishnus breathing and worlds coming out and in and out and expanding and contracting. And, and so one thing about Hinduism, of course, is that the Hindu cosmology, for example, in the Bhagavad, has more, in one sense, correspondence with modern thought about the nature of the world than uh, any other religious tradition that I'm aware of. Hmm? Uh, you have these long periods of time, the age of the, of the universe, for example, in comparison to the literal interpretation of the Bible, you got a few, what, a few thousand years and the world all supposed to start. I think that's how they interpret it, literally. Um, but the Bhagavatam, it, it, Carl Sagan was famous as saying, you know, yeah, the, the Hinduism has had more correspondence, and yeah, the devotees like Carl Sagan will keep <laughs> keep listening. You know, <laughs> becomes less attractive. Hmm. Um, 
But there is some correspondence. Uh, and so, you know, we, we can in one sense make a more credible case for our view of the, the Bhagavatam's view of the cosmology. It's, it's, uh, it's expanding and contracting multiverse. Hmm? You know, Paul Steinhardt is a famous, uh, you know, kind of in one sense like a father of string theory, I believe, and, and it's all the multiverse theories come from from that, and uh, and uh, the idea that there are many universes. And of course, this is readily accepted in the Bhagavatam. Hmm? Innumerable universes emanating from the Vishnu and so forth, and they expand and they contract. And in his theory, that his his theory, the universes expand. And contract. There's a big bang, and then again, and this, this is going on forever. Hmm? There's no beginning to that. There's no end to that. And each new universe is somewhat informed by the previous one, which we say that also. This, from a karmic, you know, perspective, the universe is informed, the new one, by the previous one. The jivas enter into the Vishnu. They become dormant. Hmm? Their individuality is they come to a kind of a homogeneous condition. They get real snug with one another, and they go to sleep. It's called susupti inside of Vishnu. They take a big long rest from a real troublesome world of the mind and the senses that have been harassing them for a long time, dragging them in different directions at the same time. Ah, so let's just all get together, bundle up like this, and go to sleep. Susupti, uh, and then, but then, inevitably, of course, you know, you wake up, and and where do you wake up? All those desires are still there. So then, individuality starts to manifest based on the desires. Hmm? This is a karmic individuality that plays out in terms of different minds and senses and perspectives and so on and so forth. And then, and so. This is going on with the expanding and the contracting. Of course, Paul's not talking about you know jivas going to sleep inside of Mahavishnu, but there's some correspondence, and and the Hindus posit a very compelling kind of notion of of cyclical time, linear time within cyclical time, hmm? that that arguably in in, in 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 even classical physics and relativity and quantum physics, they it can be looked at as pointing to the possibility that time is cyclical in nature. Hmm? So these aren't very, you know, entirely unscientific ideas, um, like, as it may be thought, out of nothing everything came in seven days or something, a literal kind of take, and uh, they have much more correspondence. Hmm? So that, that's helpful. Hmm? Um, cyclical time is a good uh, example. You know, it's an interesting example because linear time that science has been has been moving along is a is a, is a Christian idea. Hmm? As much as they don't like the Christians these days, they carry a lot of the ideas. It's, it's, some scars go very deep. Hmm? <laughs> so, yeah, cyclical time. It's very you know you have the argument which came first, the seed or the tree. If time is rectilinear, you can't answer the question. Hmm? Neither can you understand the world. Hmm? You can't understand the world because if you were to take each point, the point can only be understood in relation to the point next to it. That's how you understand things, right? You define things in relation to something. It stands not in relation to anything. 
individually, each line is made up of so many points, then it's undefinable. If you, if you redefine it in relation to the point that came previously, okay, but then you have to define that in relation to the other one, and the other one, and you go all the way back, and it's infinite, there's no, so just like this line of like, you know, it's like agitating. Hmm? Linear time is an agitating idea. Now, cyclical time is different. It's, it's very pleasing. You have to think about it. It's just very pleasing. Which came first? The seed of the tree. The seed of the tree. You can answer the question. What's the answer? Neither one. You can see it. You can't answer that if it's, if it's in a line. Hmm? You have to keep looking back. and you can't. Each, The circle is complete. It completes. Hmm? It's a pattern. Hmm? It gives a pattern to... The, 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 the natural world and makes it makes it understandable hmm? otherwise it, and that's why you, you have this like short circuit of what the world's like and come to a conclusion about it and, and, and it's it's uh, so the cyclical time it's, it's a very nice idea and, and the idea within Hinduism of course amongst the mystics is not that the world of time is cyclical because well the seasons change there's spring, there's summer, there's fall, there's winter, and there's days and nights. It goes round and round. Everything's going round like this. And no, their idea was not a not a helio, not a what do you say, a geocentric or a heliocentric, but an atmocentric idea. Hmm? They identified with, experienced a, a, a an, immo an immovable hmm? element of the world, and it was their self. Hmm? Everything moving, moving around me. Hmm? And the whole of the objective world is moving around the subjective world. Hmm? Consciousness is animating the whole world. I, each atma, consciousness, particle, so this is the center. This is their idea. Hmm? Hmm. And, the, and of course, you know, the infinite ingress, regress is not a problem either because each universe is complete in itself. Hmm? There's another one. Anyway, so it's a pleasing idea and it has some uh, correspondence with some modern scientific thought comparatively to other narratives. Um, and, and you have to understand the essential teaching about the world. Hmm? And what the different narratives are, because there are different creation narratives even within the Bhagavatam, what they're saying. Hmm? It's not that there are elephants all the way down or whatever's that. That's the argument of, you know the story? <laughs> Turtles? It's a, all the way down. <laughs> it's an argument with Bertrand Russell many years ago that somebody really put their foot in the mouth so, from the theistic side. So, um, but that said, of course, that doesn't mean, and you get devotees, they want to go and say, just see, everything's right there in the Veda, you know, they, 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 they discovered this, they knew this, they knew this, you know, and science is catching up to, it's not like that, hmm? it's not like that at all. Hmm? Science is looking at the world from a very different lens, and, and, and modern humanity is a very different lens than the lens that the Rishis looked at the world through, that you have to understand. Hmm? So when you come to like, okay, well, and then you come to, he mentions Kali Yuga, so you have to talk about it, it's Kali Yuga. Hmm? You can go to people and say, it's Kali Yuga, times are bad, you've got to, you know, 
Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has come. I said, what's that? What's called the, well, there's the Satya Yuga, the Chaitanya, the Dwarpa Yuga, and, 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 and then this is not something that's empirically verifiable. In fact, the empirical evidence would seems to speak to the contrary. Hmm? But this is an old, you know, kind of folk science kind of idea that needs to be retired. And of course, Bhakti Vinod Thakur, hmm? and we are the followers of Bhakti Vinod. Hmm? Prabhupada said, my movement is that we, we are, is the movement of Bhakti Vinod. We are following in the wake of his insights and so forth. He said that the modern world thinks about it differently. They think that they don't believe in the yuga cycles in the way they're described in the Puranas to be literally, you know, true. He said, and they might be right, but they might be wrong, but they might be right, but it doesn't change what we're doing. So he had the courage to, to make such a statement. And at the same time, of course, I think that what it really comes to is the fact that, again, there's two entirely different lenses through which the world is being looked at. The Puranic lens that Krishna's Kaviraj looks through is not the same lens that the modern science looks through to examine the world. So the two ideas are not really in competition with one another to say, this is what's empirically true. No, this is what's empirically true. The Bhagavatam is not trying to say what's empirically true. When it comes to what's empirically true from the Bhagavatam's perspective is, who knows? Hmm? That's really what it says. You, you, it says, Maya Shakti, it, it, it can't be understood. Hmm? It's, it, you cannot measure it. You want, you want to measure it, but you, cannot, you, you can't measure it. You can't bring it within the, your, the gris, fist of your intellect. It's constantly, you, know, you can understand some things about it, and then, you understand, then all of a sudden, I mean, they're trying to, for example, understand the universe only to find out years later, you come to a conjecture that, wait a minute, there may be millions of universes. Now what? It kind of changes the, equa- the equation considerably. Hmm? In fact, uh, that, uh, you know, that guy, is physicist Mikio Kaku, he said something like, spokesman, a lot of times on the uh, media and so forth. Um, very nice guy, it seems. Uh, he said, you know, the idea of of multiple worlds and so forth is no longer the the ideas of like uh, shamans and so forth, but the most well trained, educated minds are thinking about this. And there was a fellow who wrote a review. We published it in the in the on the Harmonist of Brian Greene's book about multi the multiverse. Brian Greene, that's Yogeshwar's brother. Hmm. You may know him, hmm. and uh, he's a famous uh, physicist, physicist or one of the scientists. At any rate, so he he said this book. It in reviewing his book, he said this has come full circle here. We've come full circle. What does he mean by that? He says that the language, for example, in the theophany of the Bhagavad Gita in the eleventh chapter, there's many worlds and. The descriptions are like kind of unintelligible, like what's going on here? So these sound just the same. <laughs> describing the multiverse and it's, and it's come, it, they're speaking the same language, having the same similar kind of um, experience. Hmm. So anyway, again, that said, still, um, they, they, are, they are at the same time, 
Puranas have a very different uh, lens. We're not in com- competition, really, empirically with what's going on. Hmm? They're, they, the Puranas are looking at the world with a view to understand the Atma. That's all. They have no other interest in looking at the world. So looking at the world, describing the world in such a way that by thinking about it along those lines, it would promote uh, experience of the Atma, of the self. Hmm? That whole cyclical time, the return, and so forth. This is like, it's all like, I said, the jiva goes into susupti, comes back, in, out, in and out. This is, and then, if it's fortunate, it gets release. This is the general course. The plight is considerable. Birth and death, birth and death is the problem. The general course is release. Avatar Vishnu comes. But, the, but Mahabharata was giving, and you see, you understand this. This is a very different, very special gift. Buddha by Kunta, you get some type of devotional mukti and so forth. But again, with regard to the Kali Yuga and all, you just have to understand that Krishna Krabesh is living in the Puranic world, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is like a perfect fit from that perspective. Perfect fit. Here he is. This is the Kali Yuga avatar, it's perfectly described in the Bhagavatam. It's just. So living in that world, and what is that world, that perspective? Is it something that's just old and should be retired and, and is absurd? And so forth? No, it's actually a perspective that, that makes the whole world sacred. Hmm? It makes for a, a sacred universe. It's a, it's a sacred perspective, and a perspective that's, that it draws. The question is, these two perspectives are not in competition with one another directly as to which is more empirically correct. What they are in competition with one another for is which has more value, hmm? which has more value for human society, more more potential for achieving what every human is interested in, hmm? right? Love, perfect happiness, hmm? uh, finding meaning. I mean, every human is trying to find meaning. Even those who say there's no meaning are really they're really like driven to drive home the meaning, that there's no meaning to, the, to life. Hmm? They're, 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 I mean, they're driven. They've got blogs and books. and so You just can't get away from it. Hmm? But the Bhagavatam is answering that there is an overarching meaning. Hmm? And it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's not, in other words, it's not to be taken literally and empirically, and, uh, and, and, but um, it... It speaks about kind of that uh, kind of meeting between time and eternity that gives you the chance to cross over from from measuring, which Maya means to measure, to the, the immeasurable world, the world of consciousness, where the, one measurer cannot measure itself. And so it's rich with meaning, and this is what Krishna wants to say. And so it's the Kali Yuga from the Puranic perspective, and, and there's no reason to think that the empirical, rational perspective on the world is, is the perfect... It may be, it is the empirical and rational perspective, but that doesn't make it necessarily true, and uh, <laughs> there are other perspectives. There's, there's many perspectives, right? So, so it's just one. Right now, it's... it's it, People are a little attached to it, but that's problematic. Hmm? It has no potential to fulfill one. And you have to start reasoning about, well, there's no real meaning, but still there's meaning. Hmm? 
There's no real meaning, overarching purpose. Uh, it's just you know atoms bouncing against one another. But 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 still, I find meaning life, meaning in life. There's no reason to be to despair. Hmm? That you know these theists they despair that if there's no there's no God, there's no uh, afterlife, there's no higher meaning, purpose to this life. Therefore, they despair. No reason to despair. There's all kind of things to get into <laughs> and find meaning and, and so forth. This is very, I find this very hollow, very shallow, very artificial, forced attempt to, to be basically to agree with us. You have to find meaning. <laughs> Life has to have meaning, otherwise it's meaningless and that's not very comforting. Oh, and then they give this you know, psychological reasons why people need to have meaning and so forth. And I don't, but they do. They're driven for this. So you have to look at the two perspectives like this and see which forwards the greatest capacity to, to deliver a, a meaningful, uh, affectionate, uh, this is what we're looking for, for love type of existence. And in this respect, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu stands very tall. And it's in our interest to think, live in the Bhagwat world, so to speak. And it's Kali Yuga. And, and Mahaprabhu has come. Empirically, he's there in the world. As I said earlier, you can trace it out historically. He's really there. And he stands very tall. And what does he stand tall in relation to? He towers very tall in relation to what is the nature of consciousness which is a pretty important, the most important subject. What is consciousness? Because without that, there are no other questions, right? Hmm? So what is it that gives rise to questions? Hmm? And so here he stands very tall in this regard. He was tall and towering hmm? in his size and in his ideas hmm? because he's not talking about what consciousness is not. That's just like not even really. Rupa Goswami says it's a. You could talk a little bit about it. We talk about it a lot, but you see, in Rupa Goswami's time, he said, the the to be preoccupied with the difference between matter and consciousness. This is not part of bhakti. It's not an anga of bhakti. A little bit of knowledge about the difference between atman might be helpful in the beginning, but. You see, it, it, of course, it's a time and place call. Hmm? He's speaking to people who readily agree that there's a difference between atma and consciousness and matter. And some people are preoccupied with finding a difference, realizing the difference, and that's their be-all and end-all. He said, well, we're not, that, that's a small thing. Hmm? We know that. And, and now, what is the prospect of consciousness unfettered by material nature? What is the consciousness of consciousness this is Chaitanya Charita Amrita. What is the immortal character of consciousness in, 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 in eternity? That's what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu you know, stands for. So with, with regard to the discussion about consciousness, he's very towering. Hmm? What, what it's about, what its possibility is. Hmm? Not just the 101, it's different from matter. It's not this, it's not that. Hmm? He, 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 it has the, 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 the capacity by his association to attain unatoja unata ujvala rasa, taste the mahabhav, and this is a big topic, of course. Hmm? 
So he says, this is a rarely given, this is a rare thing that comes in Kali Yuga. We shouldn't be intimidated by that, by the modern thought, as I say, well, it's not really Kali Yuga, the world's not really like your Bhagavatam says. You say, no, no, this is a different way of looking at it. Hmm? And we find it more rewarding. Would you like to chant with us? Would you like some prasadam? <laughs> so, anyway, any question? Yes. Um, I, thank you for your um, insightful talk, Marsh. I was appreciating what you were saying about um, the way a way to look at the Bhagavatam is not necessarily empirical, um, and it's a little bit different from some of what I, you know, some at least interpretations of Prabhupada that I've heard. Right. Um, that you know, if Prabhupada is quoting the Bhagavatam, then it's infallible. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, can you explain a little bit more about where that perspective is coming from? It's definitely appealing, and I think it certainly um, would be uh, uh, appealing to modern people. Yeah, well, yeah, it's true. It's, you, you have to understand how the book is written, what the author seeks to accomplish um, by, by, the, by the text and so forth. Um, and and it doesn't. What I'm saying doesn't contradict the idea that everything in the Bhagavatam is true. Hmm. It's a question of what is what is what is truth, in one sense. Um, but if we are driven to think that what is true means what's empirically true. There's no reason to believe what is empirically true is ultimately the truth. That's not really a well-reasoned argument to begin with. Hmm? Um, But um, the Bhagavatam speaks directly about love of Krishna and indirectly about it. What it's really trying to do is speak about love of Krishna. It's really showcasing different emotions in the 10th canto of love for Krishna. Sakya Bhava, Madhurya Bhava, Patsalya Bhava. As you go through the different chapters, the 10th canto is really what it's all about. Now, pardon me. I'm thinking more of some of the problems with the ninth Right, right. But but anyway, so the, I'm saying this is the central part of the of the book. This is really what the book is about. It's you know bigger than the other cantos, and so forth. 199 chapters or something like that, and it's, it's the main central piece. Hmm? Now, the setting that the jewel of that tenth canto is in is a Puranic setting. So the argument there is, is, is placed in a Puranic setting of the, of the time. So it incorporates certain elements of Puranic perspective and, and, and thinking. Hmm? But um, if you go for, then for, to Chaitanya Charitamrita, Chaitanya Charitamrita is the distilled essence of the Bhagavatam, then you find that more directly what the Bhagavatam is really about. And many of the things are not involved. It's a different setting in one sense. 
or if you take Brigitte Bhagavatamrita of, of Sanatana Goswami, it's what the Bhagavatam is about. Hmm? And then you see what it's about. It's about different kinds of love of Krishna. What, what, is the, what is the highest love and what is the place that corresponds with it, the realm that corresponds with it? These are the two subjects of Brihad Bhagavatamrita. Brihad Bhagavatamrita is Sanatana Goswami, the greatest scholar in the Gaudiya Sampradaya on the Bhagavatam, saying what the Bhagavatam is about. Hmm? And so, so many things are left out that are in the Bhagavatam, that are included in the writing of the Bhagavatam in its time, because it had, you know, when you make an argument, you could have taken into consideration the times and how people think and, and their worldview and so forth and incorporate that. So the, the author of the Bhagavatam has, 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 has done that. But um, but in essence, satyam param dimahi, this is what the Bhagavatam is about, it's the meditation on the, the truth. And so, you know, again, it depends on what time you're in, how you're going to talk about it. Hmm? What, what you're going to incorporate, and you're going to use analogies from your time that makes sense and so forth. Let's take, for example, some analogy from the Bhagavatam that illustrates a point. You could demonstrate that a particular analogy in the Bhagavatam that illustrates a philosophical point was an analogy derived from what might be called folk science, that now, with a more closer look at material nature, doesn't hold up. Hmm? But the point still holds up. Do you understand? The point holds up, and the point that is being made, how to make it at different times, different places. So the Bhagavatam is an ongoing affair. Hmm? Therefore, it, 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 and I mentioned this the other night, it's an ongoing affair. So it has to be a continual discourse, and you can employ analogies from the world today and so forth and, 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 and continue to make the point. So um, I know that well, you take Prabhupada, for example. Prabhupada was informed, to some extent, by his disciples in the West about what the Western world was like and how people thought. Do you know how Prabhupada first tried to figure out what the Western world was like? He used to go to the tea shops in Delhi and distribute his Back to Godhead magazine, and he would found, find Jehovah's Witnesses' tracts, you know, the, the little tracts they print out, and he'd think, this is what they're, you know, ah, this is how they're thinking over there, you know, that kind of thing. And so, you know, he got different ideas and, you know, when he came to America, he wrote back and he said, in New York, he said, uh, it's like, there's so many lights here at night that it's like brighter than the day, you know, and, and everybody's, everybody has their own car and, and everybody drives it. In other words, in India, cars were rare and if you had one, you had a driver. Hmm? So the idea that everybody had a car and they drove it themselves, he's like, I'm on another planet here. What are they? How are they? When he said, I got off the boat in Boston Harbor, I didn't know whether to turn left or right. Hmm? So he was kind of dependent upon, well, who he came in touch with, how people thought about things. And he invested bhakti in his disciples. He gave them the holy name and he thought, well, this is going to work and they're going to give me some good feedback. And sometimes you ask your disciples, what do you think? And they think, what does he want me to say? <laughs> I want to know what you think. You know that I don't want you to think. What does he want me to say? I, I want to know what you actually think, hmm? and it might be useful and it might not. But let's hear it. Hmm? And I've invested time in, in you, so maybe you have some spiritual thinking by which to think about it. And you can. This is called, you know, bodhayanta parasparam, mutually enlightening one another. Obviously, the guru is enlightening us, but the guru also feels he's being enlightened by the, his disciples. 
and I've made this point, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarsitaka made the point that that all my guru is appearing in the form of all of my disciples who are asking me questions, keeping me engaged, hmm? not giving me a chance to deviate in any way. They're, you know, looking at me from all sides and I'm gonna <laughs> So you my guru has come in the form of the disciples. Hmm? And in the language of Sita Marsh, of course, we're students always in this school. You're always a student because of the nature of the subject. So so it's an <coughs> So like myself, you know, I listen to people and I learn how they think and I find it interesting and then I think about it and and then I talk about Krishna consciousness accordingly. I mean, I don't have any formal education, but I talk to people, I listen to people and I, because I listen well, I can I can speak fairly well. So Prabhupada was somewhat reliant if you will, on feedback from his disciples as to what the world was like. It's not that he came here and he saw everything and knew everything about how the material world works in every respect and, and so forth. And hmm, That's not the nature of samadhi. Hmm? Hmm. Not like that. Hmm? Uh, so, he got certain feedback. Let's take, for example, with regard to um, the cosmology. Okay, he got certain feedback. He had certain disciples who were scientists, like Srupadamada and uh, what's the other one's name? Sadaputta and some, some others, you know, Madhav Maharaj and so, so forth. And so then, you know, he would walk with them, talk with them, and he said, so what are they thinking? And he's thinking, these guys are scientists, okay? I'm meeting some scientists now, and they're my disciples, as it should be. You know, they become disciples of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Okay, we got a couple of them. We need a few more, and um, and so he's asking them, "What do they say?" And he would give arguments, and you know, Srubhadra didn't have answers. He didn't. He didn't have the. Prophet was forceful, powerful. He told Kanupriya, one of his disciples, that in Los Angeles many years ago, he says, "I make a very strong case. I make a very strong case, and most of that just works." You know, but if they actually come back, you know, then I'm let listen, you know. <laughs> but not too many of us came back with, you know, probably, you know, say, no, okay, well, I must, you know, must be wrong, and that's that, and okay, you know. And so that's good, that has a good effect in one sense, but then, again, he was dealing with a lot of young people, and as I said the other night, he lamented on occasion that my children, are, my grandchildren are coming, but my children are not coming. He means like 20-year-olds are coming, but 50-year-olds are not coming, who have thought about things a little bit more, could give me a little more feedback, maybe on how to look at a particular issue and make a strategy to, you know, to, uh, to, to deal with it and so forth. And so he got the impression that um, science looks at the world in a particular way and we could, we could uh, you know, we could turn the tables on that hmm? and and demonstrate the Bhagavatam's you know perspective. Hmm? If they said to him, Prabhupada that is not gonna fly. Hmm? That's not gonna fly. And this is why and so forth. Prabhupada was a reasonable person who go, Yeah, that's not okay, that's not the best foot 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 forward here. Hmm? Hmm? You take the fifth canto of the Bhagavatam, for example. Okay, well, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur comments at the onset of the description of the cosmology there. He says that if you, what Parikshit Maharaj has asked for, show me the world, tell me about the world, not for my sake, hmm? not that I want to know 
how to think about the world. Hmm? But for the sake of others who are in the audience, hmm, who don't have the adhikar or the eligibility to think about God directly in his deity form, for example, like the devotees do, hmm, they need a more like complex idea. And so he has given a description suitable for yogis whose path is yoga mixed with bhakti who are also in the audience and describing a subtle world meditation meditating upon which again will foster understanding of the self somehow you know for the mystic yogis so this is a very different way of thinking about it and so you know you you have to look you see at different commentators over time you see Prabhupada commented in a particular way had a particular strategy that he tried to employ Hmm? all strategies are relative they'll be effective to some extent you know, you say, well, book distribution is a great strategy. Yeah, <laughs> it has its upside and it has its downside, you know. I mean, too, both. So, you know, the upside may be better than the downside, but you always think of how to improve and do other ways. And, you know, this is the business of devotees who are, who are going to do outreach to others. Hmm. So you look at commentators over the centuries and you see they have different ways of explaining and thinking about it. And you see there's some license there and... Uh, and so I don't know if that entirely helps to answer your question, but um, there is a kind of a thinking that it's kind of conished in a way that, well, you know, Prabhupada said it like this, and then you, if you want to separate Prabhupada from the whole rest of the Sampradaya, you, you really do yourself a disservice. And, 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 and I'm not, you know, kind of relativizing Prabhupada any more than any preaching is going to be, have relativity to it because it's in consideration of time and circumstance. So what I say today that sounds really compelling to you is very likely that in 20 years, or uh, I think I've got 30 more uh, into the 90s, they say, so that after that, you know, it's not going to be as compelling. It's not going to have the same power. The truth of the the arguments will be there, but the way of saying it won't have the same power. It will always have more power in the times and circumstance in which you live, so there's always a relativity. So there's relativity to the Bhagavatam in that sense too. Hmm? It, it was written down at a certain time, and certain things were taken into consideration at that time. There was completely compelling hmm? aspects of which will not be as compelling today. Hmm? And so we have to look to the essential discussion and be connected with an ongoing Bhagavatam, if you will in the form of the person Bhagavatam, which we call Guru Parampara, hmm, that continues the argument and, 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 and so forth. So that requires, like I say, uh, realization. What is the essential message? And so much is there. You know, like people, like, I'll give another example. Someone says, well, you know, in the seventh candle of the Bhagavatam, this is said here about Varnashram and, 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 and so forth, and Varnashram is given in the Bhagavatam. A form of Varnashram is described in the Bhagavatam in the seventh canto. Hmm? It's actually a very Vaishnava form of, of um, Varnashram in which emphasis is given on satisfying Vishnu, which in the general course of Varnashram, it's just that Vishnu is one of the gods there, hmm? the way it's presented. Hmm? You take, okay, you take Baladeva Dibhushan, he took, Baladeva, think of Baladeva Dibhushan, he took, for those who are in Varnashram, this is a particular social religious 
world, you know, order or whatever. Uh, and our Vaishnavas, he said, they can do the Varnashram like this and be, and be Vaishnavas and not have the Varnashram obscure their bhakti. And how, he said, he took out all the worship of all the different devas and demigods with regard to every ritual, made every ritual centered on worshiping Vishnu. Hmm? And, and said, so they can follow Varnashram like this and not compromise their, their bhakti because it will all be about worshiping Vishnu. He took the liberty to do this. So, at any rate, if, in the Bhagavatam, there's a very Vaishnav, so he, you know, he drew from there. So there's a very Vaishnav form of Varnashram. But if you study the Bhagavatam properly, you see that the reason it's being discussed is to contrast it with Uttam Bhakti. Hmm? So, what is Uttam Bhakti and what is not, and what are the virtues of both? Sometimes it says the virtues of Uttam Bhakti are this, and sometimes, Indirect, direct, indirectly you say, and then this path and so forth. And you study it carefully, he comes to, so, he comes to and then so forth. Therefore, Uttam Bhakti is better. Hmm. Um, same thing in the Gita. You know, this, it's not just, there's this path, there's this path, there's this path to choose. You study it properly, so this path, by contrast, hmm, in relation to Uttam Bhakti, you can see, it falls short. It doesn't give her the same, same result. That's why the other paths are being discussed. So Bhagavatam is a is a is a is a is a, is a total like it's a it's a New Testament of the sacred texts. It's completely stepping on the head of the ordinary Dharma hmm? of Varnashram. It's Paro Dharma, you know, from the beginning to the end throughout. Hmm? It's it it it's it's. So people read it, but they don't understand that. It means they don't read it carefully. They don't understand it in context. Hmm? It's it's not an easy book to understand, especially you know because it may be more easy to read in its time, if you will. Its time is eternal, but then again, it's ongoing. So this is very um, yeah, it's a very important point to understand. And that's why we see devotees they, they cite the Bhagavatam, they get waylaid. I mean, so you can cite, you know, Haranikasipu, he speaks in the Bhagavatam too. Does that mean, you know I mean he, the, 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 you know, what is he saying? What's the context? What's the So yeah, you have to understand the central argument. That's why to understand the Bhagavatam we go to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and we go to Chaitanya Charitamrita. This is what it's about. Then you're not going to get waylaid in so many other like side ideas that are there that that are not what the book is advocating, and suddenly people they make that the center, and then they call that Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and, it, and doesn't it? And you see, they do that, and it's not appealing. Hmm? But the central ideas are very appealing. Hmm? Yes. Uh, also, uh, you had mentioned earlier the uh, the context that well, the the sentiment Prabhupada had with his disciples that I. I I don't have any children, I only have grandchildren, I'm training. Mm-hmm. And uh, can we look on the fact that Prabhupada emphasized a, a very literal understanding, but with any child, yeah. if there's not the capability to understand nuance, you always start with a very literal presentation to the young child. That's right. Prabhupada was concerned, for example, if you, Prabhupada was not fond of 
allegorical, metaphorical type of explanations because he felt that if we, if I introduce this, Krishna may disappear. Hmm? So, for example, he would be asked, why are there, you know, what are the meaning of the five horses on Arjun's chariot? And, and the Prabhupada would say, it takes five horses to pull a good chariot, you know. <laughs> so he's making a, a literal explanation. It's a real thing. There's a real, there's a real chariot. There are real horses, and so forth. And now this sounds kind of literal and like a lower explanation. Whereas you read like Yogananda's explanation, every horse has, you know, every everything has its metaphorical meaning, and it's like it's a. I found it kind of bizarre, to be honest, to the extent to which he made something out of so many things. But anyway, uh, he's in a different school. But uh, but in the school, then Krishna becomes a metaphor for us, and he disappears also, to some extent. So really, what the idea that that Krishna is a person is very, very esoteric. It's an extremely esoteric idea. Hmm? It's the most esoteric idea. The world is a person, and it's not you. You're just part of that person. It's like very, it's very, it's a very, very abstract and very esoteric concept. Now, it sounds like a very less than esoteric, literal, but in reality, if you understand it properly, it's very esoteric. Hmm? So, in one sense, he's presenting the most esoteric understanding deep idea. Hmm? But in another sense, he's presenting in a very basic way and, and cautious about it that that it will not be interpreted in such a way that Krishna disappears and it all goes to Nirvishesh Brahma. That was his, one of his main concerns. It doesn't end up in Nirvishesh Brahma. Now, if you know that and you, and, and, and you, and you understand what is, what is Beda Bed, Achinti Beda Bed, this is the metaphysic the metaphysical canvas on which Krishna Leela is drawn. If you understand that, if you stay, if you understand it and you stay within the framework of Vachinti Beta Beta, there's no question of Krishna disappearing then. Compared to the Advaita Vedanta metaphysic, where Leela disappears in the Paramartic reality, Krishna disappears and so forth. On the, in the, on the canvas, the metaphysic of Vachinti Beta Beta, there has to be Leela. If you understand it properly, there has to be Leela. Hmm? So it can't disappear. If you understand that and you can speak accordingly, then you can also speak metaphorically. Because the fact of the matter is, the Leela narratives and so forth, that if you study them across the board, how Rupa Goswami is writing about the Leela, saying one Leela, and, and Shiva Goswami about it and Prabhupada about it, hmm? you're going to find different differences in details. Which one's right? Hmm? You can say, well, each experience is differently. That's true, perhaps. But it's also the fact that, that, that what's happening, for example, in the Bhagavatam or in the Leela Grantas of the Goswamis, they're showcasing the bhavas. Hmm? So they're going to write about it in such a way that, that Vatsalya Bhava comes out in the Dhamadar Leela. Hmm? Very prominently, and you're attracted to it, for example, or Sakiras or Madhuryaras, and and you want to go within it. So they're taking a, a, a poetic 
license to do that. So I would say, for example, that the Leelas are true, but there are nonetheless an outline. As much as you can put such a thing in language and poetry, it's limited, and it's more than that. It's that and more. Hmm? Therefore, you can speak about it, as you see, metaphorically and without it disappearing, hmm? but without, not, without taking it literally in a kind of a... a, kind of a well, in a, in, a, in, a, in a childish way, as to use your example. Am I making sense to you? Yeah. So it's a great strategy, if you will, on Prabhupada's point, uh, Prabhupada's part. And he, you see that Prabhupada created Kanishtadikaris out of nothing. Hmm? That's huge. That's huge. That's what he did. I mean, he did more than that, but that, that was his main objective. I've got so much time. Let me create adhikar for bhakti. The beginning adhikar is kanishta adhikar. We think it's it's not a derogatory statement. Hmm? When when Puri Maharaj, Bhakti Prabhupada Puri Maharaj heard that Sridhar Maharaj said, "Oh, the Puri Maharaj he exemplifies the um, position of a kanishta adhikari because he was always involved in Godiamat and establishing the deities for bhakti siddhanta." And this is archan. More relative to the Kanishta than Nambhajan, which is internal and so forth. So he's just giving an example. He didn't really mean it like that. But when Puri Maharaj heard, oh, Sridhar Maharaj has said, he's given me some Adhikari for Bhakti, Adhikari for Bhakti. Oh, I'm so fortunate. I'm, he really felt like that. That So if we knew what it means to be a Kanishta Adhikari for Bhakti, we think, holy cow, am I lucky? I'm a Kanishta Adhikari. I, I've got, I mean, I'm, I'm on the Bhakti Marg. I'm on the path. Wow, you know. This was a small beginning and a big thing, something like that. Instead, we think, I don't want to be a Kanishtarikari. Of course, I don't want to say I'm a Uttamarikari. I'm a I think I'm about Nishta. You know, I think that's kind of where I'm at. You know, I chant my rounds every day. This is, <laughs> no, this is not good. <laughs> you got to be careful about that. You know, I think I'm, what do you think? I think I'm a Nishta. You when you, your mind's going the other way. I think I'm, you know, really down. Yeah, you're getting there now. You're, you're, you're making progress. So, yeah, I mean, and Prabhupada was empowered in a certain way, to act in a certain way, to speak in a certain way, and it had an extraordinary effect. Out of nothing, hmm, so many, Adhikar for Bhakti was manifesting in so many persons. Hmm? And he, now, he, you know, he passed the ball on to his disciples. You take it. Now, if you, if you do, if you, if you, you know, you're supposed to take the business that your father passes on to you and do something with it. Hmm? Right? That's why he gave it to you. Now it's your turn. Take it and do more with it. This is his desire. Do more with it. Nowadays, a lot of people think, if he says a little less than Prabhupada, he'll be okay. If he says equal, well, you know. All right, but he says more, forget it. Hmm? And Anything more, the Prabhupada didn't say that it's a sign of his or her being unqualified. That's <laughs> not, not the way to think about it. More is to be said, more is to be explained. And that's very practical. You have to look at the field. I used to think when I was young, I thought, well, if Krishna consciousness really becomes prominent, America will be like India, a, a jungle of religious misconception. <laughs> but they'll all believe in reincarnation, you know. And the self, they'll be vegetarians, so, okay, but man, they've got to sort it out, you know. 
you know, talk to a Hindu about, you know, what is Godi about your Christian? You know, they got so many gods, and it's a, it's a, of course, it's important to preach to everybody, but I mean, sometimes probably used to say, well, the Hindus are like, the ethnic Hindus are like 10 feet from Krishna, but they're facing the wrong way, and <laughs> my disciples are 100 feet, but they're facing the right way, you know, so you got to turn them around and then let them lead us or something. So it's a it's a task. Um, so the whole the the more that Krishna consciousness spreads, for example, in America, the more misconception about Krishna consciousness will be out and about. So you can't get away from that. You think you want to do away with all that? You're gonna you're going against the spreading of Krishna consciousness. <laughs> it's it's an it's an inevitable side effect. It just means what? It means that the the preaching comes to another level. Therefore, those who can preach have to be able to preach to those who already have samadhikara for bhakti. Hmm? In such a way, you can't just preach to them, go out and save people, go out and save people, go out and save people, go out and save people. Hmm? You understand? You have to preach to them about how they may progress in such a way that they are being there. Then that will, of course, save people. That's more of a challenge. Therefore, the sannyasis, the preachers, they should be able to speak to the devotees. Hmm? Hmm? about what is bhakti, what is the tradition, and so forth. Huh? They shouldn't just be like, I haven't got time for the devotees, I've got to make new devotees. That's a, that's a, that's a thoughtless argument. You know, thoughtless. If I'm going to go preach to somebody about reincarnation, it's like, you know, you can put me asleep, I can do that. You know, tie my hands and blindfold me. and You know, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a, you know, a, no, a no-brainer. Hmm? For that matter, why even bother? There's 30 million people in the country who are receptive to the idea already. Hmm? I want to speak to them. Hmm? This is all. Gaudiya Vaishnava is this extremely alternative culture of America. It's part of America that's the, the, of alternative culture. Hmm? Just, there's no getting around that. Hmm? Within the alternative culture, there's like 30 million people. I want to talk to them. That's why when I started, for example, years ago, our magazine, Clarion Call, when the ISKCON wouldn't, when the BBT wouldn't sell me Prabhupada's books to sell them, hmm, for my sin of of having affinity for Sridhar Marsh, then I thought, well, I got to have some books. So I better start. I had never written anything but a letter before that. So I better start writing something. So that's how I started to write. Necessity, as Prabhupada said, is the mother of invention. So it's a creative exercise to be sure. So anyway, we wrote a mat. We did a magazine myself, really, um, <laughs> under different names. I wrote different articles, and a lot of them. <laughs> I got a little help here and there, but anyway, we and I started the magazine. I thought, well, we won't even make arguments about reincarnation. I'll assume everybody already believes in that that I'm writing to. I don't have to bother with that or vegetarianism. I'll assume they already go with that. There are a lot of people like that. Try to work with them, and in that group, and when I was a sannyasi, so you know, I'm traditionally you have a certain attire and etiquette and so on. And, and in that group, I could be a swami. It's okay. Hmm? Hmm? It's acceptable. Otherwise, if I go into the Kmart, they'll think you know, you, you, you think you should take your pajamas off before you you know <laughs> come in and shop. I don't know if you let them in. You know, it's yeah, and you feel awkward and so forth. So I thought, well, you know, I'll just. Minister to the alternative America, something like that. Mm-hmm. 
about Gaudiya Vaishnavism, where there are already some appreciation of some of these basic ideas. Eastern influence has you know, been significant over the decades, beginning in the late late 50s, early 60s. So, yeah, anyway, so I think you're right about that, that Prabhupada preached in a certain way, and what, the, what you have to see is it was very effective. Hmm? Now, it doesn't mean that the strategy of a certain time will be, a, this is his teaching. Hmm? The strategy has to be in consideration of time. You cannot be faithful, in the sense, to Prabhupada just by repeating the exact same strategy in times that are very different. And people say, well, it's not very different. It's only been 30, 40 years since Prabhupada left, but it's like 400 years, the way that time is accelerated and development thought is accelerated. It's, it's huge. The differences are, are huge. That's why it's, it's really good to, to frame Prabhupada in terms of his time and place and what he did. Hmm? You know, you don't realize, we don't realize sometimes how, where we are in your own thought process and how it's been influenced by the world and the progression of thought and ideas and so forth now hmm? that make certain things that Prabhupada might have said now seem problematic, that weren't problematic at the time at all. Hmm? You take, uh, you know, like Prabhupada was a flaming liberal. I mean, if you look at him carefully from a Calcutta perspective of West Bengal, he was like wild, you know. From the Gaudiya Moth perspective, he was just like, what? You've got women and men dancing in the same room? What kind of, you know, where's the world going? You know, where, what, what's happening, you know? Hmm? But then he would, but from, but from now, it looks like he was very conservative in, in his statements. Hmm? It's like you celebrate Abraham Lincoln because he emancipated the slaves, right? But you don't say, yeah, but he also had slaves too. So let's just make that part of the book, like history too. Let's keep a record of that. But he didn't think that they could vote, that they could, they could, they could be hold office or anything like that. We, that's true about Lincoln. Hmm? But that's not the points that we underscore. Hmm? Because what he was doing in his time, hmm? the courage that he had to come forward and, you know, and push that forward and, 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 and liberate the, um, the slaves and so forth, sign the Emancipation Proclamation, this is what he did. That the, the way people thought about it at the time, he was in sync with that to some extent, but he was rebelling against it at the same time. Hmm? That's how you have to look at it. Hmm? That's why you need new books hmm? as time goes on. That's why you need a Guru Parampara. That's what it's about. Hmm? That's what it's about. But it stays alive. And then if you don't, see, if you, if you somehow shortchange the Guru Parampara and try to freeze time, you do the greatest disservice to the Acharya, because you freeze him in time and he starts to look archaic and irrelevant to people and you're thinking, it's Prabhupada, the whole world's wrong, I guess, you know, hmm? they don't get it, especially in America, so I guess Kali Yuga's advanced too much, you can't preach in America, they'll never understand it, you know, we'll just preach to Eastern Europeans, you know, who just, who are conservative and so socially less progressive, Purer, you know, as it's translated, in that, that kind of mindset, and they have more, you know, credibility there. Or what to speak of ethnic Hindus? We'll preach a form of really Hindu nationalism, hmm? and uh, everything will be just fine. You know, well, it's not just fine. <laughs> Actually, that's not what we're doing. And uh, so, so when you freeze the acharya in time, then. That's what that's what happens.
And yes, you know, we were children, but and it, that was a, that was a probability. That's too bad. But it, which is what it is. We'll deal with it. You know, and you did great with it. But the children are supposed to grow up too, right? And they're supposed to have thoughts. And if you say, "Well, Prabhupada's still here. He hasn't left us," then okay. Well, now I'm going to speak to him as a you know an adult rather than as a kid. How's that? Hmm? And this is what I'm going to say to him, Prabhupada. I don't think that's a good idea. Really? Why not? This is why. This is why. Very nice. Okay. We'll go that way then. Good advice. I mean, he was a reasonable person, you know. Otherwise, you make him out to be completely unreasonable. But he wasn't. That's not my experience. Hmm? Probably that's not going to, you know. Really? Okay. It's all relative. The preaching is relative. Hmm? What's, you know, loving God, that's another thing. Hmm? And why Prabhupada said certain things? I go, you. Some of those things are based on bhava. When hmm? he said, "Yes, and we will," you know, "Yes, and and we will drop the bomb on them." When we say, "Read the Krishna book," and if not, we will shoot them or something. What? Yeah, he says something like. What the heck is that? You know, so, you know, so you have to look. You know, the Prabhupada is in Sakirasa. He's, he's and he's expressing this Virarasa. Uh, the Virarasa Yudabira is very uh, compatible with Sakirasa. It means like this play fighting hmm, amongst the cowherds, like the, and they're wrestling with Krishna and so forth, and challenging and making. And we'll bomb you, and you know, the Prabhupada's is, you know, I mean, this is his reality. He's a deep person, deep, deep, deep. So sometimes his bhava would come to the fore, and he would be saying things out of his bhava that don't like compute otherwise. But if you don't understand that he's in, in bhava, then, the, the, you know, then that's a problem. Otherwise, it's not. Hmm? Of course, then you have to explain what is bhava to people. <laughs> How a person could make such a statement, but. Hmm? <laughs> Then we will drop the bomb on them. Hmm. But you know, I mean, he was a completely non-violent, peaceful, and uh, and so on. And actions speak louder than words. I always say, Prabhupada said this. I say, yeah, that's true. But actions speak louder than words. Hmm? Like, you see, we published recently an article of Jamuna speaking about Prabhupada's relationship on the Harmonist with, with 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 her and so forth, how he dealt with his disciple and so forth and somebody said well you know yeah that's one side of Prabhupada but then he said all these things about women and you know you know yeah he did but I was in I was in Chicago for the um, you know the famous uh, what was that called uh, 1960 something where they had the Democratic National Convention and the riots and so forth and that's where the term pigs came from and because the, the cops put on these gas masks that looked like pigs and they gassed everybody and so forth. This was in the 60s. Um, and the, and the, the hippies formed the first political party, the yippies and all that stuff. And, and so there we were, you know, in, in, in the streets of Chicago. And, and amongst the yippie uh, leaders who were forming a political party, one of them was a lady. Hmm? Okay. Uh, a ma, you know, a hippie mom. That's <laughs> what... With the long skirt and so forth, and so she skipped the Democratic National Convention. Hmm? 
because there was another event, I think, in Florida, a small and insignificant event about women's rights. That it, there wasn't a something, that, and everybody and the other other people in the party thought, you know, yeah, she's got a thing with that, you know, whatever, you know, women's rights, you know. These were flaming liberals, you understand what I'm saying? At the time. Hmm? And there wasn't an argument that had come, you know, was out and about, and so they couldn't relate to it that much. Hmm? I mean, hippiedom was not like, it was, it was sexist, I can tell you that. It was, it was very sexist times, the whole, the whole world. But somebody had, you know, responded to that article that we published about Prabhupada's very endearing and charming dealings with Jamuna that she was re- relating, you know. And, uh, and so I said, well, you know, as I said, he wrote a comment, but, you know, Prophet said this, that, you've got to get the whole picture. You know, I, he was trying to say that, that there was a, course, a one-to-one correspondence with, between what Prabhupada said sometimes and the way in which his disciples sometimes today think about women, which is, which is abominable. Hmm? And I reply, I point out, I said, well, you know, there's a lot of factors involved here. First of all, Prabhupada's action speaks louder than his words. All of his female disciples... It's it's very interesting phenomenon when you have someone who says something that would be sound sexist, which is exploitative hmm? and objectifying, for example, of a woman or of a man. I can go both ways, um, but it's being said by someone who has no tendency to exploit anybody, who's a liberated person. You have to factor that in, and and how they felt in relation to him. They never felt like that. I mean, his disciples, his women, disciples, they loved him. And they felt loved by him and validated by him. And as, as much as the only, what they didn't feel validated by was the interpretation of him by some of his non-liberated disciples who were men who, you know, and I wasn't like that, I can tell you that. But I had a good translation. But... But some of them were, and some of them still are today. Hmm? And and then and you know, and, and then there's many other factors. I mean, the whole of India is sexist even today, practically, and Eastern Europe is. It's homophobic and it's sexist, and 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 in, in America, this is this is it's still you know. You don't understand if you're not in a woman's body, you don't understand. You really, it's really difficult to get. <laughs> It's really difficult to get. I have feel blessed. I can have that kind of empathy and get that. Hmm? I was remember I was a young boy, just still in, in the early years of high school. We went. This is a little different, but it's relative uh, related. We went to an event. We were in Chicago. Where we went to an event in, Chica- in Wisconsin, and it was some kind of a concert or something like that. And then we went. We were in a parking lot of a fast food place. And people were in line to get fast food, and there was actually an Indian gentleman, must have been from South India because he was very dark, hmm? and they refused him food. Hmm? And it was, a fir- my, it was my first experience of racism. I had never any experience of it. Hmm? And, um, and I was just like, I found it so, like, it was, it was so appalling. I just couldn't, I just, just I became enraged to, to, to see that. And, what to do about that? Uh, it was the, the natural feelings. I, I so some have some, um, and these things really 
touch a nerve in me, something like that. So, but anyway, it's hard. It's it's hard. It's the other side. It's hard for people. You're not in that mindset. You don't. You're looking from a different perspective, and so it requires some education, and it's it's important. I mean, you know, fifty percent of the people are women. They have a perspective. You might think, you know, that it would be useful, you know, to figure out what, what it's like out there. <coughs> so. And uh, you know, and, and Prabhupada was was uh, you know he was he was willing to get a perspective, and, and, and his disciples didn't feel like that. So, the sexism of some of his disciples, for example, it's not just a product of the way he spoke sometimes, because he spoke one thing, which is basically West Bengal culture, but from his perspective, was very liberal in dealing with the situation. Hmm? Um, 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 now we look at it, it sounds very conservative, but his disciples translated it in a certain way, and they're the product of a certain times and so forth. They haven't even gone away. Hmm? So, anyway, we got onto that, but <laughs> it's all very interesting. A similar concern of modern people, maybe that's why. I mean, uh-huh. I know personally, I. Took me a year to read the Bhagavad Gita because it kept getting stuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On right, right. So there needs to be new purports. Yeah. Just, you know, fume for a few days and then read a little more. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you see, you have some sukriti to get through that kind of thing. The time and place, the times are different, so that you're getting a presentation from times gone by that didn't affect people or women. It didn't. It didn't that I know of, I mean. And so, yeah, again, that's that's the whole idea of parampara. So as much as you take the parampara out and you try to, like, hold it just on, for example, just to use an example, Prabhupada, you know, make him the... Everything previous to that has no importance because he's now speaking in the modern time, and everything after that has no importance unless it's exactly the way he saw it is contradictory to his entire teaching and emphasis on the idea that preaching was had to be in consideration of time and circumstance. And, and it, ironically, when you do that, Prabhupada becomes more, you know, he becomes a grandfather, you know, and, it, and it's nice, you know, grandfather said a couple things, you know, but he's grandpa, you know, <laughs> he loves us, you know, <laughs> and we wouldn't be here without him, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and so on. Mm-hmm. All right, so it's nice to be with all of you. Srila Prabhupada ki jai. 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 Bhakti Raksak Sita Dev Goswami Maharaj ki jai. Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur Prabhupada ki jai. Shri Bhakti Vinod Paribar ki jai. Shri Sri Gornitananda ki jai. Gorada Madhava ki jai. Tauji Gopal ki jai. Gor Bhakta Brinda ki jai. Gor Premanandi.